there. Welcome back. I'm Karen Hall, your host of the Hero Within podcast. I'm passionate about sharing inspiring true stories of unsung heroes who've overcome some of life's most challenging adversities. Come along with me and learn how you too can find hope and healing to return to love. If you haven't heard part one yet, you'll want to go back and hear how Heather Ashburrows advocated for her daughter, Devon, who has special needs. In part two, Heather continues to discuss how she has been a mentor to many people, and she shares how her own mentor has helped her through difficult moments, including her divorce. Heather offers tips on how to deal with the challenges in marriage when you have a special needs child. Heather is a school psychologist and autism specialist who works as the grants and media coordinator at Homesteads for Hope. So tell us about the farm. Okay. So I worked as a school psychologist. And then when the court case was going on, I was kind of upset with education. And then I became the director of behavioral health at one of the biggest nursing homes in the country. Long-term <laughs> care was definitely not the best place to be during the pandemic, but it gave me some perspective on what people in a nursing home, what their rights are. They can have all these different things. An ombudsman, a neutral person to help them if they have a concern. They can fight if you want to transfer them to a different facility. And so I learned the laws. And then I moved on to the farm. Homesteads for Hope. Jenny knew how passionate I was. I had been friends with her mother. I knew about homesteads right from the very start. I knew her brother. He had spent some time actually at the nursing home I was at. The group home he lived in had injured him, broke his leg in three places. Ooh. Ooh. Yes. So he had gone through tremendous abuse. It just furthered my connection with them. And so when I was struggling being the director of behavioral health, because I didn't have AIDS for Devin, there was no one to do the overnights or I had very limited people. But I was up 55 hours a week with Mm. her at night and then trying to go in and manage a 500 bed facility. And I thought, something's got to give. I can't do this forever, you know, especially during the pandemic with just all the stress of that. And I had walked away from that and it was heartbreaking. But that's another thing. It doesn't always feel good when you walk away from something, but you have to push through. You can't let it stop you because you won't see what's on the other side. And Jenny, the founder of Homesteads for Hope, had reached out and said, Heather, you're perfect for the farm. You know, your advocacy and you have worked with so many people. You have good connections. And I said, I'll let you down. She said, you're not going to let me down. And I said, I'm going to let you down because I don't know what my life will be tomorrow. I don't know what it will be next minute. My phone could ring and I have to go to the school and pick Devin up or whatever. I have four kids. It could be any of them, right? The dogs could run away and I have to go find them. I don't know. You know, like, and she said, we meet people where they're at. That's what the farm is. She said, you don't have to be someone you're not. Be who you are. We love you. And I was like, okay. And so I stepped into the role of grants and media coordinator and we just worked on our strategic plan. We have 55 acres. The first 25 are our enterprises. That's our classroom, nature's classroom. We have farming, we have the market, we have a grill that we run, we sell flowers to florists, we have all these enterprises that are learning experiences for adults with disabilities. The other 30 acres will be for housing. Affordable housing is a big deal for anyone, but for people with disabilities, 70% of them have no option right now. So we have to reinvent group homes. In New York State, 115 group homes closed last year. 
they're closing, they're not opening. We have to come up with a different idea. So Homesteads for Hope is the idea of a village. It's a campus model. Everything's there. You can learn there, work there, grow, live, you know, all the things, socialize. We have a beautiful outdoor stage. We get bands there every Thursday. People are picking up their vegetables for the CSA. It's such an amazing place to be. You feel hope again. You're like, okay, I know the world's crazy right now, but when I'm right here, (laughs) I see that things could get better. And I'm so glad I did it. And I don't think I've disappointed anyone. So (laughs) it's all worked out. (laughs) I love it. Your message of hope. Not only if I had a child or I was disabled, the hope that I would feel that you're providing to teach them a skill and to have a place to live and to move forward, to even be able to use my intelligence that I have inside that's locked up in there and nobody knows about. I would want to kiss your feet (laughs) for that hope. Yeah. I mean, parents are just so drawn to it and it's almost like they don't want to believe it when they come. They look for the catch. They're so used to fighting for everything. And we're like, nope, you're part of the farm family now. What do you need? Because lots of times, even if we find a great place for our child, we're not included. Right. That's just not how it is at homesteads. You're part of the family. You can come. Do you want to go out in the field today? Do you want to work at the store? Or do you want to just hang out at the picnic table and relax? Because we got it right now. Your <laughs> Your son is with us. You're okay. Take a break because... Man, some mom's like, I just need a shower. You know, like I haven't showered in days or I haven't taken a nap. And you see them in the car and it's happy tears. They're like, oh. it's going to be okay. And for the people, the adults, imagine your entire life being told you'll never be employed. You'll right. never be a productive member of society. You're a taker. You're not a giver. You're a drain on resources. And they are doing it. We graduate people each year into competitive employment. They're getting real paychecks. And how can you beat that? Like that's shattering every misconception out there. People come to the farm, they can't tell who has a disability, who is the volunteer, who is the staff member. It's just because we don't divide ourselves up. We're all doing the same things. Wow. We're all valued. Wow. That's how it should be everywhere, right? Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Just breaking down those barriers. That's so incredible. And And like you said, so many times you send your child away to do that thing, if you could get into that program or group home or whatever, but to be able to be together and to celebrate that, that would bring me so much joy too, to see my child progressing and to get to be a part of it and to have somebody to talk to like you that understood me. Like you said, finding your tribe, I would feel like I found my home, my my hope and my home. Yeah, this is where I'm supposed to be. Parents pulled up during covid And everything was shut down, but we were outside. We're not a certified setting. So we didn't have all that red tape. We could be together. And they, can we come? We call it the flood where everybody else was shutting down and like going out of business. We're like, we're exploding. There's, we have over 600 families we serve right now. Thousands of people come in to visit. They want to see the model. There's intentional communities all across the country, but we kind of like pick the favorite parts for what we're doing. And that housing village, that's another another mountain to move. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Where do you get your funding? Because this is very expensive, 50 acres and to have all the operations. So do you yes. have some great big donors that are donating or how does it work? Right. We have some champions that are connected to the community and they want to help. 
So they've always invested in us. I apply to grants all day long. It's my job, right? Yeah. (laughs) But so many people are applying for grants. It's very hard to get a grant. I got a little over $300,000 worth of grants last year, which was phenomenal. But when you're thinking about a project this big, we need more than that. So then you get the people coming in who do the programs and the people who come to the farm store or, you know, they're donating their time, their love or buying from us. And that helps too. So I think having the community support is what you need, but you also need policymakers and legislators and the people in your community to stand with you and say, yeah, this is working for people. So this is what we should support. There's 13 employees for all those acres. (laughs) We're volunteers, we're families, we're grassroots. Too many people need us. Let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) I love it because with your perseverance and your energy and enthusiasm to have that matched with Jenny, that's a wonderful combination and a wonderful environment for you to be able to move forward. Because like you said, you've had these other long (laughs) standing things that you were working on before and to see this happen so fast. That would give me a lot of hope too. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You're so used to resistance and trying to change people's mindsets. I tell people that I've counseled over the years, when you get stuck, I want you to write your obituary. I want you to think about the great things you've done and how you want people to remember you and what your legacy is going to be. And for some reason, just doing that exercise, people shift and they're like, yeah, when I leave this earth, I want to know I made my mark. I want to know that I didn't watch an extra TV show instead of push, you know, because we got to push sometimes. (laughs) Yeah. When you talked about your legacy, I I love that exercise about writing my own obituary. And I've thought of that myself too. Yeah, yeah. Shifting that mindset is so powerful for yourself. What is the legacy that you would like to leave? I want to know that when I leave this world, People were inspired to push and do what they know is right in their heart, that they're not afraid to speak up. And if I keep showing them and walking alongside of them, and they borrow my confidence. I always say, if you don't think you can do it, fake it till you make it, rub elbows with me, and we'll just do it together until you're ready to do it on your own. And that was what pushed me to start doing workshops and trainings and start my book because I won't always be here, right? (laughs) I have to be able to take what I've learned all these years and put it somewhere. So I hope other people can access it and that it lives beyond me, that people keep being inspired by movie mountains because there's so many mountains. (laughs) We can't just look at them. It's beautiful from the top. You know, either you're going to climb it or move it. (laughs) Those are the options. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and so you had mentioned mentors. Can you tell me a little bit more about who influenced you? So Jackie Bartell is a DIR specialist. She's a special education teacher. And DIR is all about looking at the child's developmental level, their relationships with people, their individual differences, and you meet them where they're at. She was Devin's preschool teacher, but I also worked with her professionally. And she has always helped me see that part that it doesn't matter what our perspective is. It matters who you're working with. You have to enter their world. So I worked with her for years. And then when I went to the nursing home, I was definitely not the regular behavioral health clinical person. I was their ally. I think when you know that there's somebody 
in that kind of position that will help you, you're like, okay, what I want to do must be worth doing. If this person's willing to walk alongside of me and go through all the steps, is it easy? No, it's definitely not easy. But Jackie is the one who fueled that. And she came to Ohio with us when I brought Devin for the spelling assessment. She wanted to be there because the best people in the world keep learning. And that's like what we talked about before. You have to keep evolving. You have to keep learning because otherwise your message is stale, right? Like (laughs) you're just hitting replay. You got to come up with some new content. (laughs) I love growth. I love personal growth. I love seeing growth in others. I celebrate progress. So yeah, I think that's part of that message that you're saying too. And it's vibrant, you know, when there's growth in our life. I sense that Jackie was also meaningful to you as a mentor in a personal way. Can you tell us more? She's always the person I can go to when I'm not sure what to do next. You know, when my first marriage was falling apart, it was a very unhealthy situation. But my parents loved each other deeply and divorce had never even entered my mind as something that might happen to me. And I fought for it. I was a fixer. She's the one that used that phrase with me first. You're a fixer. You need to be a problem solver. And I thought, yeah, I cannot fix this marriage. Mm. How do I solve this problem? It made such an impact for me. So now when I'm trying to fix something, I take a step back and go, I don't need to fix this. I need to solve the problem. Sometimes Mm -hmm. you have to say, this isn't working and you have to walk away from it. And that's so hard for me. I don't like to give up. I don't (laughs) like to give up. You're just changing course. (laughs) Exactly. And that's what she's like. You're solving the problem a different way. (laughs) Right. Well, so I, I have, I, you know, I have some experience with others who have had disabilities in their children and they have talked about how challenging it is in the marriage. And you know, a lot of times with parenting, even children that don't have disabilities, you can differ on parenting or differ on whatever decisions are being made about the child. And so then when you have the additional disabilities, challenges that come along and how to deal with it. And so if one of our listeners is struggling in their marriage, did you feel like there was something that you learned from that experience and from your experience with your marriage? I think that it's so easy to get into the fighting mode because you're so used to fighting for your kids. Mm. I want that teacher to listen to me, or I want that principal to do this or whatever the case may be. The doctor isn't understanding this and you're combative. And if you bring that to your marriage or to your relationship, then you're at odds when you want to run alongside them. And they might not always agree with you. I'm I'm so fortunate that my husband now is so incredibly supportive, but we do not agree. Like our political views, things like that, we could be extremely opposite. But what did it teach me? You can always find common ground. As long as the love is in the middle and I try to make sure my tone is right, you know, like that I'm not being confrontative with him because he's not arguing with me. He's looking out for me. And I think if we realize that the person is really worried about us, if they see the problem and they don't know how to solve it, they don't want you to bark up the wrong tree. You know, it feels like they're not being supportive, but really they're just, they're looking out for you in their own way. And when you really feel it and you know that, then you can always find your common ground and you can thank them for caring about you. And I'll say that to Jim. I know you're trying to protect me, but I have to do this. And I want you to do it with me. And I invite him. I ask him. I don't 
demand it. I don't ultimatum. I just put it out there so he knows where my heart is. And I think it makes a difference. That's beautiful. One of the things that I have seen is the grieving is so different oftentimes between the spouses. And one might be the kind that wants to talk about how frustrated they are, or how sad they feel that the child is having this issue or whatever. And the other one may be the silent type that processes it internally. And that can be very challenging within the oh, couple that. in the marriage. Yeah, the grieving is very important. I want everybody to understand that part because when Aliana was born nine weeks early and she was in the NICU, I remember a NICU nurse saying to me, when you are in the shower, you can cry as hard as you want to. You want to let it all out. That is where you're allowed to cry. But when you get out of the shower, you wipe off, you dry your tears, and you go be the mama your little girl needs. And it stuck with me because I thought, yep, you have to let it out. You have to say, this is hard. Devin just turned 16. What do all 16-year-olds do? They go and they get your permit. They learn how to drive. That's not happening for her. So it hit me. It was so weird. I was at DMV with my other daughter. Mm -hmm. And I looked around and I saw people, Devin's age, her peers, and I thought, whew, and it sucker punched me. I just wasn't expecting to have an emotional reaction to it. I know she's not driving, not right now at least, right? It's not like I expected her to, but you remember sometimes and then you grieve again and you have those moments and you just cry in the shower. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I think that's interesting when you're triggered. Like you said, you knew logically that, yes, she's not going to drive right now. But then when you're faced with it and there was something in that experience that triggered you and brought it to the feeling level. She get married. Will she walk across the stage at graduation or will that be too hard? You know, you start thinking about all those milestones and they're going to look different, right? It's just not going to be the same. Remember everybody saying, how long have you waited for her? to say mom. And I'm said, you know, from the moment you look at them when you're born, you want to hear them say your name. And I said, what's my name to her with the letter board? And she spelled Heather. And I'm like, I wanted you to say mom. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, wait, wait, wait. That is your name. (laughs) Her name is Heather. What's wrong with you? Like, (laughs) you should know better. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. (laughs) Isn't Homesteads for Hope amazing? It is such a hopeful place. In takeaways from this episode, I was so touched as I thought of how I'd feel with a special needs child to find Heather and finally have someone understand me and offer support for me and for my child. I celebrated with Heather as she described feeling empowered after receiving support from her own mentor and how this helps in her current marriage. Stay tuned for part three, in which Heather describes some incredible breakthroughs with Devin. Thanks for listening. I know you're busy. Did you know that you help spread the love by leaving a review and following? This helps increase our visibility so people can find us online. I really appreciate your help. I'm wishing you lots of love in your own hero's journey.